want us to consider a few prophecies um, or predictions that the prophet Isaiah made about Jesus the Savior to bring hope in the midst of a dark time. Uh, earlier, uh, Pastor Chris led us into the actual reading of the passages, and uh, I'm going to read them again for us. Beginning with Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then in chapter 11, Isaiah continues describing who this Savior uh, that was being promised would be like. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall be bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lay down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wind child shall put his hand on the other's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a sign for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. I say at the prophet, was born in days of prosperity. Uh, in fact, um, there was a lot of economic and military uh, strength uh, under the competent leadership of King Uzziah. And the, Old, and the Old Testament witnesses that. So things were going very well uh, when the book of Isaiah was uh, just being unfolded and written. But by the time these prophecies of chapter 9 and chapter 11 come around, we see that it was very dark. Things were very dark in this society. The people of God 
were experiencing a lot of darkness and brokenness. And these are the prophecies that introduce hope in the midst of dark times. But today, God wants you to hear these prophecies from Isaiah in the midst of any darkness that you may be experiencing. I don't know about you, but it's dark. We do not live in paradise. This is a broken place. In fact, in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul tells us that the whole creation has been doomed to decay so that the redemption that Jesus, only Jesus can bring, can flourish. It is dark. And during Isaiah's time, uh, things were very dark. So I want to introduce you to four kings during the time of Isaiah, real quick, that had a lot of influence and some of the darkness that Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the people of Judah were experiencing had to do with how these kings were leading the people, how they were walking with God or rejecting God. So the first one, which was one of the youngest to become a king at the age of 16 by the name Uzziah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father um, Amaziah had done. So, so far we hear of a king who was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Only one glitch. He violated the Lord's temple. And you can read this story um, on, your, uh, on your own uh, to get all the details. But um, here is a king who was fearing God, doing what was right before the Lord. But there are some things about his life that um, were not uh, so pleasing to God. But then we have his son, Jotham. Jotham was the next king. Uh, let's see, Jotham became a king at the age of 25 years old. So he's a young adult, a little bit older than 16 as the prior one. And he began to reign, and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So, so far, things are looking good about the leadership of these kings. Thumbs up for uh, Jotham because he was faithful through all his life. That's what the word of God tells us about him. Then king number three, Ahaz. Ahaz, um, we are told that he was 20 years, a little bit younger when he became a king. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. So obviously, as he lives a life that is not pleasing to God, we see that the effects in the society that he was leading were increasing in terms of darkness and levels of brokenness in the society. So this is bad news, right? He did evil things and engaged in extreme idolatry and sacrifices. Um, 
I wasn't able to say this in the first service, but because of the audience and there are no so many young children now in the room, I would say, this is the king who went to such idolatrous extreme so as to sacrifice his own children. That gives you an idea of the extent of deprivation that this king was following in his own heart. And so that's the bad news about him. And then we have king number four during the time of Isaiah, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, in those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. You see, darkness increased because of the pride of the king. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Whew! Things could have been worse. Almost slipped. His faith floundered, but he humbled himself before God, and God restrains his wrath against Hezekiah and the people of Judah. If we go earlier, in chapter 1 in the book of Isaiah, the book begins with a description of darkness and brokenness. God charges the people with some of the following things. Rebellion, evil doing, sinful, oppression. They were oppressing the poor and doing injustice to them. They were offering vain sacrifices. It got so bad that religion became a burden to God. I mean, things are really bad when God turns to his people and says, you know what? Your religion, it's becoming a burden to me. I can't stand it. That's how bad things were, and those are the things that are already being described in chapter 1. But here's what God says. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So the message that Isaiah brings is a message of hope in the midst of judgment. And I want to tell you this morning, as dark as it was back in that day, the reality is that we live in a very dark place today. There is a darkness that stirs up from within. Our own brokenness, our own willfulness, our own um, confidence and self-reliance in our own understanding. The way we respond to life, to God, and to other people often looks like darkness. And not only darkness from within, but there is this darkness around us, right? 
because of the sin of other people and the presence of evil. So that darkness today, it looks like our health is broken, we're self-reliant, we treasure other things than God, relationships are hard. Even from the day at the Garden of Eve, one of the curses that God brought upon relationships was the curse he spoke over Adam and Eve. From the very beginning, he spoke to them and said, there's going to be strife between the two of you. And it is since day one that we experience difficulty in relationships. The relationships can be disappointing and broken. Temptation abounds. We live as though we were on our own so often. So circumstances can be dark. Our own brokenness makes for that darkness. The way we respond to circumstances, to relationships, to God, only adds to that level of darkness. And here is what happens. When it's dark, we cannot see. When it's dark, we cannot see, and therefore we are disoriented. What a formula for hopelessness. Have you ever been in those situations in life where all of a sudden the lights go out? And you cannot see. And you are disoriented. And you don't know what is going to happen. You don't know what that person is going to do. You don't know where the provision is going to come. You don't know how you're going to be received. You don't know if your job is going to last for a little bit longer. You don't know what you're going to do when that foreclosure notice comes in the mail. And the list goes on and on and on. When we can't see, we are disoriented. And that is a formula for hopelessness and discouragement. Uh, you're familiar with this guy. Uh, you probably ate some of it recently. Let me tell you, on Thanksgiving Day, we had such a great time with, with family and a great meal. We were just enjoying each other so much. Around 6.30, 7 p.m., I felt darkness coming over me. I felt my body was experiencing weird things. I didn't know how to even describe them. I felt all of a sudden like gloom and darkness had come down and picked me as the target. And there I was. And my wife is sitting next to me. And all of a sudden, it's like the lights went out. I felt confused. And I felt anxious. And so I began to tell my wife, I don't know what's happening, but I feel so strange. I didn't use the word darkness, but that's what I was experiencing. So I turned to her and said, can we pray? So I pray. She prayed for me. And it's like that darkness got lifted within the next hour. I was so thankful. But that experience of darkness didn't stop there. Yesterday, 
Yesterday, I could tell that we were full of expectations. She was full of expectations. I was full of expectations. But there was one problem. We had not talked to each other about the expectations. By the middle of the day, we were on each other's throats in conflict. We were frustrated with each other. We were experiencing darkness. And I have to say most of it was being stirred up from inside. Because in our frustration, we were not responding very well to each other. So we did time out, regroup, reorient our conversation, and the rest of the day was great. So darkness is unavoidable. We do not live in paradise. We do live in a place that is broken. And I wonder why is it that sometimes we are so surprised by difficult things, by darkness, by the darkness of other people, by our own darkness and failure and brokenness. I wonder why, as if we still have this hope that perhaps paradise will come any day. And it will. Just not today. Just not yet. We find ourselves in that darkness, grasping for some security, some normality, some sanity, some completeness to find out that all of it fades or fails. And so lack of hope can easily characterize the hearts of many and perhaps even yours. And the interesting thing is that hopelessness or discouragement hinders our experience of the presence of God. That's what happens. And it's not that um, God is not near, God is not interested, or God is not involved anymore. It's just that when we are hopeless, when we are discouraged, we feel God very distant. Because life is not going according to our plans. But when Jesus arrives, when Jesus arrives, everything changes. And that's why the prophet Isaiah is relating all those prophecies to us beginning in chapter 1. Because when Jesus arrives... Everything changes. See, the Jesus that Isaiah is promising, we are told that he is going to live under the influence of the Spirit of the Lord. He is going to live under the influence and the fullness of the Spirit. This Jesus that has been promised by Isaiah was not going to be a Savior like the kings who would make life about themselves or rule according to their own understanding or lead according to their own desires and wishes. This promised Savior would lead, would live, would love, will do life under the influence of the Spirit of the Lord. This Savior that's been promised will delight 
in the fear of the Lord. Can you imagine your heart being undivided concerning the fear of the Lord? Like 24-7, a heart that is not divided. Our hearts by nature are divided. There's a part of us that wants to pursue God, worship God, walk in the ways of God, come under the authority of God, live under the plans of God, learn to love like God, serve others like God. But then there's this divided heart. Our flesh, our desires that get in the way, and so we are unable to fear the Lord, to please the Lord, to love the Lord with an undivided heart. But this promised Savior would delight in the fear of the Lord with an undivided heart. This Savior will administer justice. If you ever come to that point in your life, some of you might be there, where you have experienced some unjust things in your life, some mistreatment, some form of abuse, and you long for justice, I want to tell you today, friend, the kind of judge you want to take charge of that situation is not you. It is Jesus. Because Jesus is the kind of judge who judges not according to what he sees. Jesus is the, is the kind of judge that doesn't make decisions based on what he hears. Jesus makes decisions based on righteousness and faithfulness. And so when Jesus steps in to be the judge, you better believe it that he's right. You better believe that he's doing good. You better believe it that in due time, he will call the unjust into account. That's the Savior we are being promised. He will live out a matchless character. We read that uh, he will wear righteousness as a belt around his waist, and he will wear faithfulness as well. So he will live out a matchless character. He will establish complete shalom, a kind of peace that is unmatched by anybody else. We read about the cow and the bear grazing together. We read about some of your babies touching the whole of the cobra. That's amazing stuff. That's an order of life that we have not known. And Jesus came to begin his work of redemption so that one day at the second advent, when he comes back, he will establish a whole new order where there will be no pain, no destruction, but complete harmony. And then he will fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the Lord. Can you imagine that? You would not have to explain God to anybody. Because your neighbor will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. 
You will come to situations on Monday morning at work, and you will be filled of the knowledge of the Lord. You will go home at the end of, the, uh, at the, at the end of your shift, tired, cranky, and you will respond to your wife and your kids full of the knowledge of the Lord. It's going to be great. And Jesus is the Savior who has been sent, who was promised to do that. See, Jesus fills every aspect of our existence. But our lack of awareness delays our hope. Let me say that this way. Jesus is the Savior given to us to fill every aspect of our existence, every space in creation, every living breath. And one of the reasons hopeless kicks in is because we lack awareness of him. And our lack of awareness that he fills everything delays our hope. It is not until we grab hold of hope that we are anchored in a different reality. I cannot tell you how many moments of hopelessness I've experienced in almost close to 50 years of life. A lot of moments. And when God steps into my darkness, my confusion, my uncertain present and uncertain future, at least in my mind, when he comes in and he parades himself as that kind of savior we just described, everything changes. Everything changes. What was big and scary to me, it's brought down to its proper size. What was making me fret, vanishes. That is how he works. He comes and he fills everything. When, it, when I read about this Jesus, I get filled with hope because there is no circumstance, no threat, no opposition, no pain, no need, no conflict, no abuse, no diagnosis, no failure that Jesus cannot fill or complete with himself. That's what he promises to do. He promises to step in as the Savior and he fills everything with himself. Now, in the New Testament, I, I like uh, this picture. In John 12, verse 3, there is the story about the woman who took the pure nard ointment, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus. And what happened was the aroma, the fragrance of that ointment filled the room. The perfume exercised inescapable influence. And in the New Testament, there is this one of my favorite words that I've come across for a few years, actually now. I'm fond of it. It's the, the word pleroma. It's the word, the Greek word that translates fullness. And when the New Testament speaks about Jesus, 
That word shows up in several places. I'm going to show you three. But just like a perfume, the aroma of anointment fills a room with its fragrance. When Jesus is present, he fills in a way that he exercises such influence that is inescapable. That's why I like that word. Let me show you some of those verses. First one, Ephesians 1, 22, 23. And he, God, put all things under his feet. This is speaking of Jesus. And gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. All in all does not leave anything untouched. Jesus has been given to us, to the whole universe, as the one who fills all in all. That is the Jesus promised in Isaiah. Here's the next one. He who descended, the Jesus who descended from heaven and come at Christmas as promised to us is the same Jesus who ascended again after he died and was resurrected far above all the heavens to do what? That he might fill all things. It gets even better. Are you ready for this one? For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of the deity of God dwells. It came and dwelt among us in a bodily form. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. That is amazing. Jesus, who was given to the universe to fill all things, to fill everything, has been given to us to fill you. Tell me if that, does, if, if that is not a reason for hope. We don't have time, even in a day, to describe who Jesus is. But that marvelous Jesus, that marvelous Savior has been promised. The promise was fulfilled. He came and he was given to us to fill you. It makes me want to repent of moments when I live like as if I was an orphan. You know what I mean by that? We live life sometimes like we need to take care of ourselves. We place so much effort in trying to control life because we think that it's going to go to the dump if we don't. And we strive like crazy, thinking that it depends on us. When it does not, God 
gave Jesus to fill all things. He did. And I could tell you so many testimonies of Jesus filling. For me, even to stand here this morning, it's an exercise of faith where I have to remind myself, God, I'll speak, you do. That's my part. But God, you have to fill my mouth, you have to fill my mind, you have to fill this moment, you have to fill this group of people, you have to speak to them, you have to stir up hope where there is no hope, you have to come and awaken our hearts to the reality that you fill everything and that's enough reason for hope. If he doesn't do it, nobody else can. So where is real hope found? It's found in a Savior who is filled and is able to fill all things. Jesus doesn't lack anything. And he has come to fill you. I want to ask you two questions in a moment, and I'm going to ask the worship team and uh, Brian to come in and get ready to support us. Um, I wonder if there are times where difficult things in life, like conflict, sickness, um, unemployment, Any, any kind of expression of darkness, right, or brokenness. I wonder if those are opportunities for us to really consider the one who fills everything and that we have not been designed to do that. So... A question that I want to ask you, what darkness or brokenness do you need Jesus to come and fill? What darkness or brokenness do you need Jesus to come and fill in your life, in your family, around you? When when we receive Jesus, everything changes because Jesus is filled with the spirit of the Trinity. He is filled with an undivided heart that fears the Father. He is filled with a character that is able to administer justice. He is filled with a heart that is committed to faithfulness. He is filled with the power that allows him to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Father to the point that a new order is being established and will be fully established when he returns again. So I want to ask my brother Brian to remind us of those truths as he leads us in a reading. Would you stand with me, please, as we read Isaiah chapter 9 and a little bit from Isaiah chapter 11. 
Is this going to be on the screen up here? Please follow along with me. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees. He decides disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equality for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be in the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him the nations should inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Brian. I want you to look closely with me at this verse, verse 10. And as the uh, people who are going to serve communion, uh, they get ready. Um, I want to give you just some instructions about communion. Isaiah 11.10 tells us that the root of Jesse will stand as a sign to all people. And that that root of Jesse, the promised Savior Jesus, the nations are going to go to him to inquire of him because he's marvelous. And his resting place shall be glorious. See, the place where Jesus rests is glorious. The place, the place Jesus fills with his presence is glorious. And what we do when we approach the table of communion is we are reminded that Jesus empty himself to fill you. Philippians chapter 2 describes that as Jesus, who was with God before creation, sharing in the glory with God before creation, 
did not consider that as something to grasp or grab hold of, but empty himself so that he could become one of us, the incarnation. And so he emptied himself in order to fill you, in order to fill me. So as we take communion today, uh, I'm going to ask my friends in the back to put the slide with the obstacles. There are a few obstacles that get in the way of hoping. One, trusting ourselves. Our fears. Fatalism. That pessimistic way of thinking that tells us or informs us or preaches to our soul a wrong gospel that says your future will be a repetition of your bad past. Be afraid. Be concerned. Fatalism. That pessimistic view of life can get in the way. Your own understanding, your pain, your disappointment with yourself and other people. Perhaps it's your own failure that you are disappointed at. Or you might be disappointed to other people or with other people. And the list can go on and on and on. The obstacle list just keeps getting longer and longer. So I want to encourage you, as you partake communion, be honest with Jesus. As you take the bread and dip it in the cup, be reminded that Jesus emptied himself, and yet being full, now has been given to you to fill you with good things greater things than what you would ever dream or plan for your own life. And you can, at the same time, as you take the communion elements, you ask him, Jesus, I need you to fill. And you fill in the blank. My marriage, my relationship with my children, my hopeless heart, you be honest with him. He wants to fill you. And so would you please stand? If you have placed faith in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to partake of communion. Our parents, we trust that you will lead, orient your children if you want to lead them into communion. And uh, we'll worship the Lord together. Um, I'll come up again and share a quick thought and then... Uh, Pastor Chris will lead us at the end. Um, so just come forward uh, to partake communion when you're ready.